So we have a few more people coming. Do we want to go ahead? Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, first of all, I want to thank everybody for coming out. Um, and because uh, uh, I know that the people that should be here are here. Okay, that you have an interest, because there's probably not anyone in the United States and other places where Black Panther Party uh, are that has not been impacted by the party. Okay, we know that the Black Panther Party, people have some misconceptions about what the party was. The original name was the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Am I correct? Yes. All right. And uh, that was because that the police in Oakland were doing the same thing they are now. We're talking about Black Lives Matter. Okay. In, in this, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. We, we've changed technology and jargon, but that's about it. That's about it. Civil rights has been uh, eradicated. In fact, Frederick Douglass said that back in 1874, that the Republican Party was now a party for money. Okay, even though Lincoln was part of the Republican Party. But it's a different Republican Party. You know, and it's like when you ask most people what country they live in here, they will say, we live in a democracy. Okay? But in a democracy, what, is that one vote, one person? But we pledge allegiance to the flag and to the republic for which it stands. Okay? And in a republic... The Senate has the power and not the people. Rome was a republic, okay? So understand the historical significance of what you're experiencing tonight from people who are actually there. Not talking about what they heard, but what they know, okay? So you are fortunate to be here to be able to share this information with people who are part of living black history. My name is Dr. Shaka Muhammad. And I will be your host uh, for this panel. I would like to, um, to start by introducing panel members. But I would also like to say that Black Panther members came from all walks of life. Okay, they were not just people who were in a certain class or a certain region. We're talking, about, we're talking about business people. We're talking about educated people. You know, we're talking about people with degrees. You know, Huey Newton, Angela. You know, these are all people that have doctorates, okay? So uh, the businesses, the people that we introduce here tonight, let me uh, just start with a quote uh, by Frederick Douglass. Men may not get all they pay for in this world, but they certainly pay for all they get. And on that note, the first person that I'd like to introduce is Brother Kevin Carter. Now, either y'all can clap or throw money. Um, uh, oh, y'all ain't throwing no money. Huh? Okay, I, I see. We see how that go. Huh? Okay. All right. Um, Brother Carter is an Oak Park community activist. Uh, he was a community leader, an activist, and he was born in Sacramento. Um, he uh, is also uh, president of the Women's Civic Improvement Center. No, 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 um, no, no, no. Huh? No, no. That, that's not, huh? No. That's not you? Yeah, it didn't Oh, okay. I got the wrong brother. Yeah. I'd have made him president. <laughs> okay. All right. Correction. Uh, right. Okay. And, uh, huh? Okay. What are we doing? All right. And the correction on my, on my birth, I was uh, 
born in Chicago. Oh, you were born in Chicago? Yeah, let me just put it out there. January 20th, Okay, all right. You better put, you put these, these notes down. He's trying to give credit for what you... <laughs> he, he wrote this down there. Okay. All right, so um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, let Brother Carter talk about his experience and share with you his knowledge and information as to the Black Panther Party, Sacramento 48th, anniversary. Now, it's also the 50th anniversary for the party in Oakland, which will be from October 20th to October 23rd. And if you want to get information and tickets about that, go online to itsabouttime.com. Brother Carter. Oh, thank you. Um, first, I want to give an honor uh, to God who is ahead of me and who has me here today to speak the truth. And could, you, could you pick that microphone up? To speak the truth about um, my upcoming and my upbringing of uh, living uh, not just here in Oak Park, but just throughout, uh, just in living in general about the struggle and the continuance of the struggle. Um, I wanna first uh, give a, a congratulations uh, to my brothers and sisters that are sitting here in front of me because they were my elders and babysitters and the ones that brought me up to understand uh, what this struggle uh, was about. I was, in 1967, I was seven years old. I arrived here in 1964 uh, from Chicago, Illinois. I was born there January 23rd, 1960. <clears throat> but in saying that, um, I take it as a journey uh, because of the first place, like I said, coming from Chicago, was moving to Sacramento was to Oak Park, where my grandmother uh, lived on 11th Avenue. And uh, like I said, I had a time of, uh, of the experience of growing up or being around what was going on at that time. And uh, at that time, uh, during that struggle with the Black Panthers and uh, Nation of Islam and uh, the civil rights movement itself, and all the things that were going on. I was fortunate enough because most of my babysitters were, the, were these guys. So, I, so it was easy for me to uh, be a part of uh, what was going on uh, during the time uh, of um, the unrest. Um, in 1967, I mean 68, uh, as an eight-year-old kid, uh, after the death of uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., April 4th, 1968, uh, the summer of 68 here, um, I witnessed being in the middle of a massive riot that it took to, that it took place on uh, July the 4th that night. And um, the conscience level of watching what was going on and at the same time, lighting and doing your fireworks you know, something that always stuck, you know, in my mind of never letting go of that moment uh, of what the purpose of it was for and what it meant at that time and what it means today, you know, uh, through that journey of learning and understanding the struggle in this community that I grew up in. And in saying that, it's, it's, it hasn't been easy uh, throughout the, the years and generations because that same struggle is still here today. Um, our kids still suffer. 
Uh, we still need the watchmen and the sisters, you know, to help our kids get through these struggles. Right now, our community is going through agentification and transition, and we're still at the position and the condition of being, just like my brother said, y'all move up, but being on the back of the bus and all of these ideas that are coming in before the same ones that we've been fighting, over, fighting about over the years to get to our own overcome. And so in saying that, that's where I fell in love with the struggle and, and began to uh, be passionate about it. Because every time I would look around and I would wonder, well, who is gonna be next to, to lead us and guide us you know, through these different situations that we would be dealing with? And a power greater than me said you. After going through um, the afflictions and addictions earlier in my, in my um, life, um, at the age of 20, 25, I fell into oppression and went through alcohol and drug addiction. And in that struggle and in that time dealing with that, I had to think about what was making me um, go through this, this process. And each time that I sat down to think about it, I thought about what I was going through here in my own community, the lack of opportunities uh, for my people and the, uh, and the kids around us, what would be our futures, you know, uh, as we got older. And it comes to, to show right now um, with the level of education that was being presented in our community, uh, with the uh, elementary schools to middle schools uh, being bust out. They never rebuilt our um, junior high school after it was burnt down in 1963, which would have been Stanford uh, uh, Middle School. And um, every kid that lived in Oak Park had to be bust out. You know, so that was our thing. You know, um, we never had a chance to have like other middle school kids and other kids in the community to where we unified. And I always took that as a tool that was used against us because what went on in, in the earlier years to keep us divided. Even though we all lived in the same community, but it kept us divided in certain, certain parts and things that we did. So we, I had to find a way to break that, uh, that monotony. And my way of doing it was through sports. Through, if it was football, <coughs> baseball, soccer, whatever it was. But one of the things that most of the kids in this community liked doing was playing baseball. The Old Park Little League, which is now today the oldest Little League in the state of California. It's the only one that has a gold charter. And that literally is ran by uh, African-Americans. And uh, over the years, it's been a challenge as uh, far as for getting the support that it truly needs uh, and, uh, and that will help you know, uh, our kids grow in this community. Uh, sponsorships, we've always went through a struggle one of the things that did happen in 2007, we had an opportunity to take the kids back to Williamsport, Pennsylvania, to where they played in this uh, game called the Urban Initiative. 
to where these are kids that would never get the opportunity to see Williamsport in a lifetime because of the competitiveness that it is playing Little League Baseball to get to the Little League World Series. So we, our kids received that opportunity, and I was just saying that was being in the right place at the right time to where it helped me to revive our youth back in the sports, stay away from gangs, and, uh, you know, and become you know, productive uh, youth in the community. Um, the other part that we had to fight with um, is a level of the city and the, the police department releasing uh, over 250 pedophiles uh, from the uh, Sacramento County Jail, and they were all coming here to Oak Park. And we had to fight to keep our kids safe in the bathrooms and, and, uh, and just around the park in general. So uh, all of these things um, that were taking place from my childhood to the next generations of, of, of children that were coming along. And I kept asking myself, when do we get a break? When do we get a change? When does the opportunities begin to happen for our kids? Now, what I did in taking the kids to Williamsport, that's, that's not even a, a scratch or a notch that needed to be done in this community. And still today, the same thing. Where does it start when the people that lead in this community begin to take the federal dollars that they were getting and invest it into our youth? And that wasn't happening. As I was observing and watching everything that was developing in our community for the youth, it was people coming in from other places and getting those federal high-risk dollars because that's what our community had become and they gave the name high-risk. High-risk to me is a danger. These are problem kids and I never looked at our kids as being high-risk. I look at our kids with high, risk, high expectation because that's basically what it is. are kids with great potentials, with high expectations but I constantly kept seeing the poverty pimps come in, take the money, use a little bit for the program, and then walk away with the rest of it and do nothing for our kids. And, and somewhat, it's that way today. And that's why you see there's so much uh, that's happening in our community, community right now when it comes to our, our youth, when it comes to opportunities. Well, the mayor, you know, right now you would say, well, he's doing a great job in the area of education and coming from this community. But at the same time, you know, um, I disagree. Uh, there are some things that he, he missed. And the part where he missed was these programs, the social programs that were, that were actually helping the kids in this community you know, the small ones that we had. And he had an opportunity to take advantage of that uh, so that the kids in this community had a variety of opportunities to grow from. And, and that didn't happen. And it's not happening today. Um, our kids are still suffering. Um, they, they still have, like I said, great needs um, to stay away from um, 
high risk, um, uh, um, high risk. Uh, what I want to say when it comes to high risk, uh, 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 opportunities of being incarcerated. Now we know that at the age of three, that's when the police, that's where they begin to uh, look for the potential of a kid being a potential or being locked up for mass incarceration. So um, in saying that, I look at today, um, the, just the, 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 the dynamics of what's happening uh, uh, with the system, uh, with policing and um, our kids today being that same risk on the street of being, you know, uh, a potential of being shot uh, by a police or even brutalized on the streets because of uh, the lack of opportunities. So, um, but, in, but in saying all of that, uh, I didn't know really, I didn't know uh, really where I wanted to start, you know, in, in my dialogue with this. So I'm kind of just like keeping everything open uh, to where it has a connection from my past where it connects to, to now with the youth because I'm, an, I'm, a, I'm a product of those youth today. And the, the product that I am is how they get through to the next level, how they receive justice, how they get the rights of passage, you know what I'm saying, receive all of these things. So, but the main thing is that I'm, I'm happy to be here and to be a part of the dialogue that's was taking place. And, and, and from that, the, the leadership that you guys uh, uh, taught to me uh, from the Black Panther movement uh, and I learned from, it's helped me even today in dealing with police brutality and mass incarceration to where it's almost like the new deacon of defense, but you're out here, you know, doing the, the activism, the work as an activist to make sure that our kids don't fall in that hole. So I'm gonna leave it at that. Thank you, Brother Carter. Um, okay, next I would like to, uh, you know, the backbone of our community has always been black women. You know, um, that, <laughs> some of you married folks and I may not agree with that, but, but uh, um, you know, also there are some, uh, I think in general, some misconceptions about the Black Panther Party. They think it was all black people. But the Black Panther Party, like that um, picture says back there, how can you defeat racism if you're using racism? And uh, last year, um, a friend of mine, Richard Aoki, uh, who was the uh, little Japanese brother, who was the captain of the Black Panther Party in West Oakland, uh, passed. Okay, and I'm sure people don't, aren't aware of that. There's also Black Panther Parties in Australia and in other parts of the world. Okay, now, how many former Panthers are here in the audience? Okay, all right. Um, now, you know, like I said, this is, you can get, this is living history. So I think there's some programs back there about this. You might even be able to get 
some autographs or some signatures from the people and the former Panthers here that you can add to your collection. I don't know if Brother Carter charging for them or not. But, uh, no, no, it's yeah. no problem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. No, I'm um, Okay, let me... I would like to introduce the Queen. Dorothy Heights said, when you're a black woman... You seldom get to do what you want to do, but you always do what you have to do. James Baldwin said, women manage quite brilliantly on the whole and to stunningly and unforeseeably affect to survive and surmount being defined by others. They dismiss the definition, however dangerous or wounding it may be, or even sometimes find a way to utilize it because perhaps because they are not dreaming, but men are neither so supple nor so subtle. A man fights for his manhood. That's just the bottom line. Margot Rose Brunson. Um, now, y'all gonna have to encourage her because this is a shy little thing and, you know, and everything, so you're gonna have to encourage her to speak up. She was born here in Sacramento and was part of the busing and is a revolutionary from her heart. Please welcome Margot Rose Ross. Could you pick up the mic? Time to flip the switch. There's no button. Push it up. Hey. Okay. First of all, I, I, I want to say that I'm honored to be here myself. I want to thank Barbara Range, the proprietor of the Brick House. I want to also thank my godson, Milton 510 Bowens. Sit right there, right there. That one, right there. For giving us the opportunity to share our story with him and for him to carry our legacy to this point with us and helping us to do this for Sacramento, to put Sacramento Old Park back on the map. This is where we did it. We did it right here in Old Park. Old Park was a thriving community. It was thriving. I, I, I could say that I am a product uh, of Old Park because, you know, we had a lot of problems, but we learned how to deal with them ourselves. We had a way of dealing with the problems in the community without policing and the police police in our community, we did it ourselves. That's what we did here in Old Park in Sacramento. So we didn't restrict ourselves to as kids to where we where we you know where we were allowed to go. Um, we do have a panel uh, tomorrow, so I want to strictly stay with my upbringing in Old Park and the thriving businesses that we had here in Old Park. Long time ago, we had a California theater. Um, everything has changed, you know, like where those apartments are. There was businesses, California Apparel, Joe Davis, Joe Style Shop, uh, Shoe Emporium. We had a Chinese restaurant. Uh, you can get Chinese rice, a soda, and uh, for 90 cent, you were rich if you was able to do that and actually sit down in the restaurant and eat. Uh, we had a jewelry store. Uh, we had a hardware store. Oak Park was thriving, and everybody in the community worked together. And 
we all went to school here in Oak Park. One of the biggest problems for me was when our school burnt down, Stanford Junior High School, when it burnt down, we had a, a, a busing, you know, and I'm saying busing, what is that about? That means we were going to be bused out of our neighborhood into another neighborhood, which means for children, that's unknown on a bus. So um, I don't exactly know the... Um, the at the the street where Peter Lassen was, but that's the school we were bused to, Fifty um, Eighth. Mm-hmm. We we were bu- bused to Fifty Eighth. Now, they provided buses for us as long as we attended that school during the double session. So what they did was they fenced in a school made a brick that was already burnt down internally. They fenced it around, put in bungalows, no heat, no air. We were the happiest black bunch of kids that got to go back to Stanford Junior High School property in the eighth grade you could ever see. We were strung out all over the street. We was happy because we were back home. But the devastation came when they decided to take this a little further. So now I know today what integration was back then, because that's exactly what they did. They integrated us through the mail. They sent every one of us letters as to what schools we were going to be attending in the ninth grade. So I didn't graduate in the ninth grade with my friends. I graduated with strangers. I had to go to Kit Carson. And we had to walk from First Avenue and 37th to 52nd and Folsom Boulevard. Because remember, we weren't attached to Peter Lassen no more, so you niggas got to walk. Okay, this is how you got to get to school. And doing that and taking you out of your neighborhood, out of your comfort zone, you tend to get in trouble. It It just comes at you. And it did. One day, we were coming home, and it just came at us. You know, you give up, but you don't give up all of it. So our, our, our problem was that, you know, we was in junior high school coming home in another area. We didn't know the, the, the people. And we walking home and the white girl said, y'all got to move off the sidewalk and let us come by. Being as we were, we were tired, hungry, <laughs> couldn't afford lunch, you know. We decided we wasn't going to do it that way. So we handled it the other way. We throw down. That's the way we do it. That's the way we handle our business. We threw down. Time went by. I was in my science class. Police came in there and got me and handcuffed me. When I got into the hallway, that's when I put the pieces together. And uh, we, we went to jail in the ninth grade. It was a terrible experience because they said we were acquitted, found not guilty. But they attached a butt to it. They said... The only way that you can beat this and not go to juvenile, because they already washed our hair and had naturals, little red skirts and the white blouses they give you and the shoes and the socks and your dress up clothes. But my mother, you can hear her coming. Mama Rose was storming down that hallway, hollering for her kids, okay? You can hear her coming. But what they did to us, to demean us, to take it a little further, they said, we don't think he was guilty of that. We just think he was guilty of being rude. So what we're going to do to you is as long as you are in Kit Carson Junior High School, you are not allowed to walk on the sidewalk to school or from school. You have to find a ride 
That's what they did hmm. here in Sacramento. That's what they did. But my mother, she fought for us. I want to throw out shout outs to the mothers, Lois Abernathy, Viola Benjamin, um, my mother, Mama Rose, um, Strivers. These women fought for their children in this community in Old Park, in Sacramento, and they supported the Black Panther Party here in Old Park, in Sacramento, and they'll do it today if they were here. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Um, another quote from Frederick Douglass, 1857. Power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did and never will. Find out just what people will quietly submit to, and you have found out the exact measure of injustice and wrong that will be imposed upon them. And these will continue till they are resisted either with words or blows or with both. The limits of tyrants are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. Last but not least, because I'd already made Brother Carter president, <laughs> is, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> okay, Brother Dale McKinney. That's right. Uh, now, Brother Dale um, had accomplish some goals in life. Sometimes they tell us, you can't do this and you can't do that. But this brother is not only president of the Women's Civic Improvement Center, he's an attorney. He was born in Sacramento, and he took political education classes from the Black Panther Party in 1969, okay? We were still watching Elvis Presley, I think. Um, he was among the first black electricians allowed in the uh, International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, number 340, in 1971. Uh, he um, joined, what is that, NOI? Nation of Islam. Oh, the Nation of Islam in 1972. And he was convicted of conspiracy of murder in 1974. So we know the brother's a revolutionary, he ain't playing. So could you please welcome him, <laughs> welcome brother Dale McKinnon. Like everyone else said, it's an honor and a privilege to be here. The Black Panther Party offered an alternative that wasn't available prior to its existence. Prior to the existence of the Black Panther Party, you either went to school, worked hard, or you were a criminal. There were, there were no really other alternatives in the black community. The Black Panther Party offered a, a, an avenue for young people to take the energies that they had and put them into something that was, wasn't new, per se, because it had gotten a lot of what it had from history. I remember the Black Panther paper had on the back with a 10-point platform a picture of Malcolm looking through a window holding a rifle. And so Malcolm was our patron saint. And, but Malcolm came from others. His father was a Garveyite. Mm -hmm. And Marcus Garvey was a person that built one of the largest black organizations in the history of the world since with the 20th century. So 
Huey P. Newton, Bobby Seale, and the other founders of the Black Panther Party came up with an organization that was an organization of enlightenment. When I went to the Black Panther Party, I learned that reading was important. It was important to read about certain people. And one of the first books I read was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And, and that, was, that was the beginning for me, that, which led to, I also learned, I read uh, George Jackson's book, uh, Letters of a Solidad Brother, which was, so the importance of Malcolm in the Black Panther Party was it enlightened us to come out of the parochial way of thinking that we had and turned us into world figures like Malcolm. Malcolm said that the struggle was not a civil rights struggle, it's a human rights struggle. And if you look at the 10-point platform of the Black Panther Party, it dealt with human rights. It wanted, it wanted people, it wanted, we want freedom and the power to determine the destiny of our own community. We hadn't heard that in our generation. They wanted full employment. They wanted to end the robbery of, the, of our community from the capitalists. They wanted decent housing. They wanted decent education. They wanted a completely free health care. They wanted an immediate end to police brutality and the murder of black people in the oppressed community. They wanted an immediate end to all wars of aggression. Vietnam was going strong at the time. They wanted freedom for all black and oppressed people now held in federal, state, county, city, and military prisons and jails. <clears throat> they wanted land, bread, housing, education, clothing. Mm -hmm. All things that humans deserve as a, right, as a result of being born to live. So with me, having read, having started my political consciousness at the Black Panther Party. That led, I went from there to become the president of the BSU at Sacramento City College. And I went from there to the uh, Nation of Islam. And all of it was, all of it happened except for City College. Everything that I did was centered around Oak Park and the understanding I got from the Black Panther Party. Right across the street from the Black Panther Party was a VACOP, Valley Area Construction Opportunity Program run by a brother named Bill Woodfin. And uh, after I, my activism enlightened me, but it also targeted me because I went to jail, first time I went to jail was June the 15th, 1969, the night that the police shot up the Black Panther Party here in Sacramento. I went to jail that night, and that started my encounters with the criminal justice system because they charged me. What happened was I had holed up in the Black Souls building after I had seen the police form a line on Fifth Avenue and come down Fifth Avenue toward 35th Street. So at that point, I tried to round as many people up as I could and get them in the Black, in the black Souls building. When the, when the police came down to... 35th Street, they turned and went right by the Black Souls building and went down and shot the Black Panther office up, shot it up. So after the shooting stopped, I came out 
to go see what had happened. And at that point, the police confronted me, told me to leave the scene, and I obeyed. I obeyed, I, I turned to leave, but I guess I wasn't moving fast enough, and uh, I was arrested. And I was arrested for being in a place of a riot, unlawful assembly, refusal to disperse, and brandishing a weapon in a malicious manner. All charges that weren't true, but I was charged with them anyway. So I was given a public defender, young man, young man that was, and he told me, and he said, okay, the best thing for you to do is to plead to one and they'll drop the other three. And I said, well, what about if I didn't do any of them? And he said, well, that, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. He said, it's misdemeanors. Plead to one and they'll drop the other three. And I said, but what if I didn't do any of them? He said, it doesn't matter. So I said, well, it matters to me. I was arrested for something I didn't do. I'm not taking any plea bargain. I want to take this to trial. And he said, you don't take misdemeanors to trial. I said, well, mm -hmm. we will this time. So I pushed it all the way to the morning of picking the jury. And when I got down to the courthouse, he was more worried than I was. And he said, listen, listen, please, please, whatever you do, don't take this to trial. Tell me what I can go back and get that you'll take. And, and initially they offered me three years probation for my first offense for something I didn't even do. And I said, give me, I'll take a fine. If you give me a fine and no probation, then I'll take the deal. And so he went back into the judge's chambers. When he came out, he was trembling. He said, I don't know how I did it. I don't know how I did it. He said, but I did it. Please take this deal. So I said, okay. So I took the deal. I ended up doing, it was a $100 fine. I ended up doing 10 days in the county jail. The following year, I got arrested for uh, the shooting of Patrolman Bernard Bennett. Mm -hmm. He was shot May the 9th, 1970 in front of the Black Panther office. I only, I was just reminded uh, recently that at the time that he was shot, the Black Panther office was closed at that time. But he was shot off of the Black Panther office and killed. Initially, there were seven people arrested. Four people went to trial on it. I wasn't one of them. Uh, and at the end of the trial, uh, all of them were let go. So the murder of Patrolman Bernard Bennett in uh, Oak Park is an unsolved police killing, which means legally, uh, there's, because there's no statute of limitations on murder, it's an open case. It's an open case, and anyone can be picked up and tried for it right now, to this day. If they, it's, a, it's what they now commonly refer to as a cold case. So it was, a, it was, the police weren't too happy about the fact that no one went to jail for the murder of Bernard Bennett. And so, Two years, so the year after that, I went to a VACOP and got into the construction program. Uh, I became an electrician apprentice. We were the first ones. It was five of us, five black men. They, hadn't, they didn't allow black men in any of the construction unions at that time. It was 
President Richard Nixon that threatened the trades and told them because his problem was how was he going to control the black power movement? He had to come up with something. So he came up, so they, he came up with black capitalism and he forced these trades to open their doors for black people. So I got a, I got a job. I got a job as an electrician apprentice in October 1971, which was amazing because we got paid every week. And, and I had so much money that by the time I got my next check, I hadn't spent the first one. And I was like, wow, no wonder they ain't letting us in here. You know, because I had had a job coming out of high school. When I, when I first got out of high school in 67, I went to work for DMV, sorting driver's licenses by hand. The, and the gross pay was $352 a month. The take home was $277. I was broke by the second week. So I had to get another job at Macy's stocking the shelves in order to make it through the whole month with some money. But now that I, so that was my first experience with employment. But once I got into the electrical trade, now I'm making so much money that, like I said, I can't spend it all by the time I get my next paycheck. But even though I was in the trade and I was making good money, you know, the guys that had been in the trade before me, the <coughs> Europeans that were in the trade, they, they resented us. They, they caused problems. And so even though I was making good money, I, was, I, wasn't, I wasn't satisfied. The Panthers were closed. So I went into the nation. It was the only black organization left that I felt comfortable with. The self-determination, grow your own food, make your own clothes, employ your own people. So I joined the Nation of Islam. Two, two years later, after an infiltration from COINTELPRO, some members of the Nation of Islam went on a shooting spree wounded an off-duty police sergeant who later ended up being a, um, a superior court judge, shot a guy coming out of a bar down here on uh, Stockton Boulevard, and then killed a man sitting in his living room in, um, in uh, uh, North Highlands. At, the, at this point, this is 1974, at this point I'm the secretary of the Nation of Islam. So if you know anything about the nation, you know that the three major officers in the nation are the minister, the captain, and the secretary. I was the secretary. So it was my job at that time. The temple was on 35th Street on the other side of where the Black Panther office was. We had a Shabazz fish and chip. We had your market. And then we were in the process of opening a bakery on Stockton Boulevard. So when I got to the, it was my job to open the businesses uh, in the morning, Shabazz Fish and Chip, your market, make sure they were supplied, collect all the money at the end of the day, pay the brothers, send the money off to Chicago. So when I arrived at the, at the temple that morning, April the 24th, 1974, it was surrounded. And that was the day after the shootings because the shootings happened on April the 20th, April the 22nd, and April the 24th. When I got to the temple that morning, it was surrounded. Now, being in the nation, I had stopped all of my criminal activity. 
right? One drinking, one smoking weed, one taking red devils, you know, clean my life all the way up, right? So when the police pulled up behind me and said to me, Big Dan Waters and some other police officer <laughs> said to me, said, um, who are you? And I told them and they said, well, look, uh, why don't you go downtown and uh, for some questioning, right? And uh, and be, being that I was clean, I said, yeah, no problem. Well, I mean, they were going to take me downtown anyway, but I, I agreed to cooperate, right? So I get downtown and I give a two-hour unmirandized statement because I wasn't under arrest. I only went to to answer questions. Talk myself into a conspiracy to commit murder because I put myself with the people that actually committed the crimes. You see, and so um, so that led to 15 years in the penitentiary. But because I had read. George Jackson's Letters of a Solidad, brother, right. I understood the politics of prison. You know, I knew what to do and what not to do in order not to turn a, a seven-year life sentence into 40 or 50 years or a death sentence. And so uh, as a result of that, I, um, I studied. I didn't do like Malcolm, even though I had his example to follow. He, he read the dictionary from cover to cover. I didn't do that. But I read everything I could get my hands on. I read all the books that I thought. I read black books. I read business books. I read electrical books. I took that 15 years and studied. I studied religion, Christianity, Judaism, Islam. I studied for 15 years. And so as a result of the study, I came out, I figured, that once they got me the first time, it would be easier to get me the next time. So I figured my only protection would be to learn the law. So after I got a degree in accounting from Sac State and a real estate broker's license and a certified tax repairs license, uh, I went to law school. I went to law school and uh, I graduated from law school and I'm, I'm practicing law now. And what I'm seeing my, my consciousness that started in the Black Panther Party ha has developed. So I understand that, and it's helped me stay grounded in what's really important. And, and, I, and I'm saying to you now, the, the Black Panther Party and, the, and its 10-point platform are still relevant mm -hmm. to this day. And the fact that human rights, civil rights, is too parochial. It, it limits you to the United States. But human rights makes you an international figure. It opens your eyes and your consciousness to not only what's going on here in America, but what's going on in the rest of the world. And that's very important because you need to be a worldly figure in order to be effective today. You can't be just an American. Can't be just an American. All right. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, will the panel entertain questions from the audience? Sir. Does anyone have any questions? Anyone have any answers? Oh, okay, you got a question. All right, yes, sir. Okay, and then you. Yes. You mentioned the Philadelphia. 
Yes, sir. Has there been a, a examination of the Sacramento experience in light of that audit information? How many you don't have to throw down. Right. I don't think we know specifically what has happened. Uh, you know, the Freedom of Information Act has been gutted mm -hmm. by the Bush administration. Right. So it's hard to get the information that you used to get prior to Bush being the president. But uh, so, no, I, I don't think we can say specifically at this point. But we know, I know personally, as a result of my experience with the Black Panther Party, I, I got an FBI number. 1969. Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude except as punishment for crime. You see, so slavery is still legal mm -hmm. as punishment for crime. But not only is it is it legal as far as punishment for, for crime and incarceration, but once you've been labeled a criminal, just like me, I'm I'm a criminal with a license to practice law. I'm I'm sorry, I'm an ex felon. <laughs> yeah, I'm a convicted felon with a license to practice law. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? But what convicted, being convicted of a felony has done, it has effectively, it, it, it not only reduced me to physical slavery, but now I, I'm a social slave because certain privileges and immunities in the Constitution are not available to me. Right. You see? So. That's one of the other things I learned that, you know, we still have slavery nowadays. And, and even in the law, people, you know, you could be innocent, but if you don't have the resources to prove your innocence, you can end up doing time for something you didn't do. Yeah. All right. Yes, brother. Okay, yeah, my question is about the He, he hasn't taken his medication. You have to excuse that comment. Uh, anyway, <laughs> it, it came through uh, donations from uh, community, from the community, and and also outside the communities. I don't know if you you guys remember years ago we used to have dairies. We had uh, out in uh, Glen Elders. They call it the flats, but it's Glen Elders. We had dairies, and um, we got donations from them. Where the clothes uh, locker, my favorite place, where they have the free clothes, that used to be a Ratter Brothers. That was a, a store like uh, food source. And we got also got donations uh, uh, from them. Uh, so it was strictly through donations. Okay. 
I'd just like to say something, and I'm glad you brought that up because the, the Breakfast with Children program was a beautiful program that I really enjoyed participating in. And it's, uh, it's interesting that prior to the Black Panthers instituting the Breakfast for Children program, children that went to school, especially poor children, went to school weren't fed prior to the Black Panther Party. And it's amazing now that the school systems throughout the nation have picked up the breakfast program and now feed children going to school. But you won't ever see them giving credit the Black Panther Party credit for feeding children for breakfast. And that's, uh, that's an omission that I, that I believe has been done deliberately. Yeah. They, they have kids that come up to us and it's really, it's, it's, it's amazing and they're grown. Um, the Witherspoons as a family, they came and it's almost like they do a testimony because they got to eat. And the first meal of the day is the, the the most important meal is that breakfast. And it was so important. It was kind of funny because I, I laugh. It was so important that the, the unified school district, not the, the, the schools, they sent us a letter and said, we're overpowering them. That means that if you give them a certain amount of food and if it's too much, you're going to find all the kids on the playground sleep. So we had to slow down the amounts, you know, not so many, so much large amounts, but they were successful, you know, the Witherspoon runs the, used to run the third floor at Kaiser. She retired, uh, one at the ambulatory clinic. Um, she, uh, she, uh, Patricia, she worked over there, uh, and she retired and they attributed to eating at the breakfast program, having that breakfast in the morning. Oh, right over on uh, 4th Avenue. 4th Avenue. Yeah, 4th yeah. Avenue. The church is still there. Yeah, it's still there, United Christian. It was the United Methodist Church. Yeah. Right, right. And his name was um, <laughs> Reverend Chilton Christian. Okay. Yes, I wanted to say uh, thank you guys because I was one of those kids. Seven brothers and sisters. I was one of those kids. And not only just them uh, having breakfast for us, but also educating us on how to conduct ourselves in the community dealing with the police. So that was the most important, you know, food for thought. You know, you nutritiously getting some food and, and then also the consciousness and awareness of your surroundings and what you're dealing with. Because you gotta remember, we were the next potential to being set up like Dale was but they gave us the education. They made sure that we did not, you know, uh, fall into that trap. His, his, his mother, his mother, um, uh, Aubrey Nash's mom, we had in Oak Park, Sacramento. We had mothers that took upon themselves to walk these children to school. Some, you know, they say, here I come. If you're not out there, I'm gone. But they, you'll see one mother and a trail of kids because that's how we got our kids to school. Rain or shine, they had their little umbrellas that would blow up. They'd open them back up and try to protect the kids and get them to school. But that's one way in Old Park in Sacramento. That's how we treated our the, the, the families. That's how we did our, our kids. We took care of our elders. We took care of our children. Children, 
You know, it's a little bit different today. The, the approach of approaching a child today, you have to be really careful. And, and I know people say, well, you know, you have to tell them I'm your elder. No, you have to be careful because right. a 12-year-old will take you out. They're not afraid anymore. We have to first, we have to respect them, and we have to walk up to them with respect. And, you know, it's like that man on Facebook. He kept seeing, hearing those boys saying that N-word. A black elder. He got tired. He read them, and what he was saying was true. But me, you still have to be careful about your approach. And what we have to do is we have to start respecting one another again. We have to work on that. That's what we have to do. We have to work on that. When we get that accomplished, we can accomplish anything in America, anything. Right. There's nothing too tough for us if we can get ourselves together. I can't concentrate on helping my brother if I'm fighting with him. He's my brother, too. So we have That's to right. really work hard on this. That's our biggest goal. And then we'll be able to work out the deals in the community. We can take our communities back because Old Park, the people in Old Park stick together. That's what the man said That's at the right. concert. He said, you can't go in Old Park and ask no questions. They're not going to tell you nothing because they stick together. And Old Park, they always back the Black Panther Party and when... Even when we go out to the park, that's what they say about my husband. That's what they say about Sacramento, where the post office is, is where our office used to be. All right. Any other questions? Yes. Could you stand up and speak up? <coughs> Can you hear I, I think I think respect. I think I, I it respect. I hear people saying thugs, um, um, and, and they want to you know clown the way they wear their pants, sagging, and all that. You know what? At a time it was a long time ago. I used to tell my son, it was it was a long time ago where it meant something, but it turned out to be a fad. That's not the concern, it really. If we can get the mind together of the adults from fighting with one another and sharing our knowledge with the kids in the, in the communities, our experiences. We have a lot of young mothers and fathers out there that nobody even addressed that situation. We have a lot of young kids out there. They got kids out there that are 17 years old, and that little youngster, he was, he was glad to say he had two kids at 17 by two different women. Come on. That is not the way it's supposed to be. We have to talk to our kids. I, we had to call them names. You know, we don't have to call them names. We could talk to them, but we have to show examples. We have to set examples. And we can't set examples if we are not together as brothers and sisters, as human beings. We can't do it. It's not going to work. We got to come together. We got to stop the bickering. We got to stop the name calling. We got to figure out how we can work together in and on these the solutions. And it's right. all about taking your community back. It's all about keeping your community strong and right. taking care of your families. We're all in this together. Mm -hmm. What kills me 
Let me tell you what, what really kills me. I watch a Raiders game. I see all them people sitting together like this. <laughs> what makes you come out and start fighting with each other? What's that about? You know, sit in that stadium all day, drank all day. Then you come out of the stadium and you find a reason to fight. That doesn't make any sense. Maybe I'm. Maybe it's me. Yeah, it's no. You can't ball on alcohol. Hey. <laughs> That's just the way it is. So, Dale, you want to go next? You want me to take it? Okay. Mine's would be, and it's something we're working on right now, and it's something I heard from uh, Dr. Bernice King. She came here a couple of years ago to endorse the uh, uh, No Youth Left Behind Center, and uh, they did a dinner for and now it's the Martin Luther King Educational Center for the next 10 years. And it's the only one in the whole United States that connect with his birthday and his name, which is January 15th, he was born, 1939. But in saying that, one of the things when Bernice, uh, at the dinner, she first wanted to do, and she had all of the youth stand up, and she had all of the parents look at those youth and she said, don't look through them, don't look around them, look right at them and apologize. Apologize to them to where we dropped the ball along the way and where we didn't stand up and stay on the front line and fight for them. Well, most of some of them were going through struggles, going through different things about, you know, their their, um, um, what do you want to say, um, uh, um, body thing between gay, straight, and all of these other things that uh, youth are dealing with. But the main thing was to let them know that you love them. Love them because some of them have been abused, to let them know about that abuse that they have been through. Uh, love them about um, the things that, you know, they were separated from maybe mother and father. But anyway, in those two things, the apology and the love. And that's what we all have to do today. And even in saying that, I'm with a group of men right now, right now as I speak, we started this thing. It's called the apologize <laughs> to reorganize and strategize. We apologize. It's not your fault. And that's what the men are doing now. I mean, we're about 15 and we're growing. And it's taking place through the South Area, Oak Park, uh, North Highlands, Del Paso Heights, Rancho Cordova. The, the elders from 70 on down, 70, uh, 70 uh, to, to 50 to, to 40 to 30. And each group goes and apologizes to the next group. And then by the time that they get to the 18-year-olds and give them their apology, they're apologizing to the 13 and, 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 and younger because that, that's their communication gap. They're not trying to hear no apology from me, the 13-year-olds and the 12-year-olds, because they got the big homie. So we have, to put, we have to give the big homie that apology. And then the, the big homie has to give them that apology. But not just giving them the apology, we're also creating healing circles that they can come to. We're also creating to where we're going to bring them all together on November 12th to one place. 
especially the rough ones that are out here and what they call grime, the grimy ones. We're taking them so that they can meet each other from all of these communities. And we went to all of their communities and we did this shot. You know, uh, uh, it's, uh, it's being documented to where they're given the apology, the old OGs and, and the, and the uh, younger ones are given those apologies so that they can see that it doesn't matter what community you're from. Somewhere along the line, you're connected, you're related, some type of form. You, you, you are supposed to be together. So that's what we're doing now. But I wanted to say that that's where we have to start. You know, we have to start healing ourselves from the position and the conditions that we're in now, especially what's going on now with police brutality and all the shootings and killings around the country. Let us know that they gave us a name called high risk. And high risk gives the opportunities for police officers to pull their weapons. It used to be where if you made a sudden move, they would you know, have the right to shoot you. So I used to tell the youth to pull up your pants, buckle up for safety. And they said, what that mean, bro? I said, that means that anytime you reach for your waistband and, and if you're in the, in the uh, hands of the police and they have their weapons drawn on you, if you reach, that means that you reach for your, waist, your waistband that they can shoot you. But now it's fear. And what gives them the fear is the word high risk because high risk is a danger. And that's something that we have to work on with our civic leaders today to take out of our community that name and they keep that name because there's federal dollars behind it. So if our kids, uh, their lives worth federal dollars, we have to ask ourselves the questions today. And when it comes to repealing the Police Bill of Rights, and just like Dale said, our human rights, their Bill of Rights should not be stronger than our human rights. These are the things that we're fighting against right now in the position and condition in the same the capturing of our community, our kids, our youth today, to bring back the awareness because they're the biggest danger right now. They're in the biggest area of danger right now of being killed with no accountability. That's why you see across the country, it's so hard to get justice when it comes to a police shooting. Okay, thank you. Um, are there any more questions from the audience? Well, actually, I'm the wrong person to ask that question because I really my don't. Problem. 
I'm the wrong person to ask that question because I'm not an advocate of changing anybody but yourself and your response to what's going on around you. Uh, you know, I, I, I just don't think, you know, we've been trying to change the police since 1966. You know what I'm saying? Uh, and, and it's the same thing. So I think what we, we have to change how we respond to things how we respond to the outer world. And, 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 if, and if we change that, and, and one of the things I think we need to do in changing that is we have to start accepting responsibility for our situation. You see, we, we you know, one thing I learned in prison, and, and then I'm done. Uh, I went to prison as an innocent man. And as an innocent man, I, I, I didn't want to accept responsibility for being in prison, but, I, but my therapist got me to see that as an adult, I was in prison as a result of choices that I made. And, and one of them was that one choice I made after I cooperated with the police in my initial investigation, in their initial investigation, mm. and, and then they charged me with a crime, then I shut down on it. I said, okay, I, I'm not helping you do anything else. Anything else you need, I'm done with it. And so my therapist said, so had you helped him, is it possible you could have gotten out? And I said, yeah, that's possible. He said, but that you didn't choose that as an option. And I said, no. So he said, so you did time by choice. And once, once he enlightened me to that, once, I, once he opened my eyes to the fact that it was a choice I made that ended up putting me in prison for life, then that helped me shed the victim mentality mm. and start taking responsibility for, for me and what I did, and, and it helped me do everything that I wanted to do after that, you see. So uh, I, I'm not an advocate of changing anyone but us and how we react to you know, our attitude toward ourselves and our environment. And once we do that, we can fix what's wrong with us. And then once we fix us, then we can unify and protect ourselves from outside forces. All right. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yeah, so you appreciate that. Yeah, you know, if, when your house is on fire, you have to save yourself first before you can save anybody else. You got okay? one more question. And I would like to ask the panel this, what, no, huh? What, you got a, you got a, you have a question? I have a question. Oh, no. Oh, okay. All right. Okay, quickly, because we're going to close this out. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Did you want to respond? You want to microphone? That's a choice you made. <laughs> yeah, you got to live with it. <laughs> so go on and respond. Yeah, go. My response was they have laws and they have rules. But they don't mind saying to us as a people. Yeah. And if you look at everything that happens, it's different when they're dealing with us. We decided back then. That the only way we was going to stop the police from killing us is we had to defend our lives. And that's what we did. And while we were doing that, you will notice if you check the statistics, fewer of us were getting killed once we stood up and demanded that they stop killing us. And we said we're going to shoot you permanently if you try to shoot us. <coughs> and that's what happens. And when, when you have a bully, just like Fred Douglas said, you have to respond 
to him with words or blows. And that's what it is. As long as you sit down and think the laws that they create are going to protect us, they never have, and they never do. We had two brothers who were police officers. Okay. They killed a little white boy. They got charged with first degree murder, and they got in trouble. Okay. It ain't no difference in South Africa with apartheid laws. If you had a black cop, you couldn't arrest other black folks. <laughs> okay. If you had a colored cop, you couldn't arrest other colored and black. White right. cops couldn't arrest anybody. No, you can't kill no white folks if you're black. You don't do that. You're going to the penitentiary for the gas station. You watch the All right. Thank you, brother. Um, you know, we, they mentioned the Breakfast for Children program that was started by the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense. Also, the party uh, started the free clinics. Also, they started the, uh, the closet. Um, also, they started the sickle cell program and Tay-Sachs, which is a blood disease that uh, affects um, uh, Jewish people. Okay? Um, yeah. And, and, yeah. Wit, they sure did. Right. Wit, yeah, all of that was started by the Black but Panther Party. Okay? So like I said, you know, you, got, you can get history from the living mouth. History is a clock that people use to tell the time of day. It is a compass they use to find themselves on the map of hum human geography. It tells them where they are and what they are. John Henry Clark. When you control a man's thinking, you do not have to worry about his actions. You do not have to tell him not to stand here or to go yonder. He'll find his proper place and he'll stay in it. You do not need to send him to the back door. He'll go without being told. In fact, if there's no back door, he will cut one for his special benefit. Mm -hmm. Carter G. Woodson. Mm -hmm. I would like to ask the panel one more thing. I would like to ask each of the panel to give us one lesson that they learned from this experience, starting with uh, Brother Carter. Huh? From, from your experience in life with the party, what, 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 what can you leave us with? What knowledge, what wisdom, what information can you leave us with from your experience? Um, having an ear to hear, to listen. What, what you want me to do with you? Um, the awareness and actually staying uh, pretty much in my lane growing up and respecting my elders. And in that, what I've learned is to how to survive. And then through that survival is how to give it back. True love acts for nothing in return. And a lot of my friends tell me today, they say, you know what it is with you? You fell in love with the struggle. And I tell them you're absolutely right. And that's what it is today with me, is to give back what those gave to me in the beginning of, of how I survived today, um, you know, in this, in, this, uh, in this time. All right, Rose? I, um, it's not over. That's, that's, that's what I take. It's not over. I don't know if I'll be around to see the change. Um, I, I'm sure wherever I'm at, I'll be looking down. But um, we have a lot 
of different fights, and one of them is with ourselves. We just, it, it's, it's no other way we can do this until we come together as humans, come together as people. We always say, that's my aunt, that's my brother, that's my sister. But then you turn around and you do things that makes it, it's not over. We have a long way to go. Still. The most important thing I've learned is one, not to, not to be the victim, because the victim is always waiting for someone else to come rescue them from their situation, which is not going to happen. And part of your not being the victim is how you talk to yourself, because whatever you say to yourself, you're right. If you tell yourself you can do something, you're right. And if you tell yourself you can't do it, you're also right. So. Don't get in your own way because the only person that can prevent you from doing whatever it is you want to do is you. That's right. All right. Okay, thank you. Um, did you hear, listen, and appreciate what you've heard tonight? Let the panel know, please. Thank you, thank you. You know, um, the Black Panther Party uh, not only started this particular movement, but they work with other organizations. And I was asked to moderate this panel uh, tonight. Um, I was not in the Panther Party. I was in an organization called ODAC, Oakland Direct Action Committee. And our president was Mark Comfort. Uh, my brother Frenchie was his uh, second in command. And so when the Panther Party came to Sacramento and went in the Senate chambers, if you look at the old films and documentaries, you will see the Panthers in the black leather jackets and the berets. You will see ODAC in the green field jackets and berets. That was two organizations. I had just come back from Vietnam, Marine Corps, uh, 18 months in Vietnam, and uh, I was did the military training for um, ODAC and a few of the other revolutionary organizations in the Bay Area at the time. So thank you all for coming. And the people, the panel will be here, and I think Barbara had something to say. All right. And the panel will be here, I think, if you would like to talk to them after. Okay. Okay. So just wanted to do uh, a little info for you all. So just wanting to let you know that um, – oh, you have one. Thank yeah, you. So that uh, tomorrow uh, we have a panel discussion, and the panel discussion is with the women, the the uh, Panther women here in Sacramento. The other Panthers, which were the women. So that will be moderated by uh, Faye Kennedy tomorrow. Uh, share the word, you know, spread it a little. Um, Milton and I have both been doing, you know, press conferences or what have you. It's real important that you share this information, um, that the exhibit is here, and that we have a um, 
historic event that's happening here uh, for this week. And then Saturday, we have an art talk, and the art talk will be moderated by uh, Dr. Alan Gordon. So if you've seen some of the art that is around here, um, Milton 510 Boynes, Daphne Burgess, uh, the records there. We have Brandon Harrison, an artist who is from um, uh, Long Beach, and we have Keith Michael from uh, Los Angeles. The Stokely Carmichael piece over there by um, Shell Brantley, who's in uh, Fairfield. But come out and uh, support uh, the event that we have on Saturday. We'll also have um, a commemoration of some of the fallen comrades here as well. And then uh, another panel discussion, the huge panel discussion, Dr. Cambone. Mr. Cambone, I'm trying to talk. Thank you. So I know you brothers and sisters like talking while others are talking, but cease. Thanks. Um, we'll have a panel discussion uh, with um, the leather uh, Panther Sacramento Panther Legends uh, as well tomorrow, and that will be moderated by um, Milton Five Ten Bowens. And then um, we have a party. We have a party from, yeah, woo, woo. Uh, I'm tired. Uh, we have a party from 9 to uh, midnight on uh, Saturday. And then the real big celebration is the um, uh, commemorative free breakfast that we'll be doing here on uh, Sunday. And we have um, uh, Lisa... Um, Lisa Daniels from uh, Aspire, uh, who will be here. She's done a tremendous job of organizing her school and classrooms to come, parents and students to come here on Sunday. And then we also have to do a huge canvas that we'll be doing out into the neighborhood because we really want the neighborhood uh, to come out and support this. Uh, but she's uh, organized caterers and parents and students. And um, when she's here, that's for Sunday for the uh, free breakfast program. Please share it. Uh, share it with someone that you know, and as well, please come out and support all of the activities that we have for the rest of the week. Yes, ma'am. Uh, the women's panel is going to start at 6.30. All right. Thank you all for coming. Thank you.